This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. In 1956, William Branham started a doctrinal teaching that is still used by the cult to this very day. You may have heard it. There are three types of believers. There are believers, there are unbelievers, and there are make-believers. From the surface, this seems like a very solid doctrine. In any crowd, you're going to have those that believe in Jesus Christ those who do not believe in Jesus Christ, and those who only darken the door because they have friends who believe. From a scriptural perspective, we must be very careful with any new doctrine, especially one coming from a man who had prophecy that failed. We must line this teaching up with the Word and see if it passes the Word test. When you really stop to think about it, the only reason Branham uses three categories is because of his superstitious Hindu numerology surrounding the number three. While cult pastors use this exact phrase in their sermons, the listener quickly realizes that there are really only two categories. There are those that believe in William Branham and those that do not believe in William Branham. (laughs) Those that are for us and those that are against us, too. This is common with the cult mindset. Deep programming to cause the cult follower to believe that the entire world is against them promotes this grip of fear that will keep the follower bound in chains. Often in the sermons, we find pastors instructing their congregations to stay away from those other two categories. You might catch that doubting spirit. I invited a a man that was enslaved in this cult over for dinner a few weeks ago, not to discuss religion or theology, just to have a good time eating a few steaks. From this man, claiming to be a Christian, came these words, If the dog lies with fleas, he will have fleas on his back. So I asked him, Is that what Jesus said when he sat with the publicans and the sinners? Religious cults draw a line in the sand that separates humans from other humans. All through history, we find the exact same thing. 
which has led to religious wars and ethnic cleansing. The cult mindset is very damaging to humanity when you consider the invisible boundaries that surround the close-knit group. In fact, this is the very reason that we find so many communes set up in extremist cults. Extremist cults are no different from any other religious cult. They are good, loving people who are led astray by false teaching and cult programming. The only real difference is that they have let this us-against-them theology push them into a corner. And once they're trapped in the corner, the only way out is death or life through Jesus Christ. Considering some of the extremist cults and the horrendous tragedies that shut them down, you can easily see which choice that they made. But Branham's doctrine of the three types of believers is a line in the sand. The first category, the believers, are obviously those who believe him to be a vindicated prophet, regardless of whether or not his prophecies came to pass. Those who are unbelievers are those who have noticed the prophecies that failed and said, Hey, wait a minute, this guy lied to me. Then we have the third category, and those are the ones that I really feel sorry for. To me, they seem like they wear the thickest and the heaviest chains. They're called the make-believers. Those who sit in the congregation knowing that there's just something that's not quite right with all of this. They see all of those that are making their exodus now from the cult, but haven't been able to study why. And they don't quite fit in. But it would destroy their entire family and their lifestyle to go to another church of Christians. And I use the word Christians because in the three categories given by these religious cults, and in their three types of believers theology, Christ is not considered for any of this. Like the other extremist cults, this doctrine has nothing to do with Christ, but more to do with mind control. Take the same doctrine, and let's change the words to what they actually mean. Let's call it the three types of people sitting in a Branham cult. You have the Christians who believe that William Marion Branham is the prophet of Malachi 4. The Elijah who had many prophecies that they think did not fail because history has been altered by some devious conspiracy. Then you have the Christians who do not believe that William Branham could possibly be a prophet because when it comes right down to it, there's not a single prophecy except for a few failed visions about a brown bear and India revivals in some tent, then you find the Christians that are sitting there knowing all of this mess. And they pretend to believe William Branham's failed ministry, but to forfeit their place in the cult by not giving that appearance of belief, they must also forfeit family and friends in a close-knit cult lifestyle that is designed to hold them bound. But in these three categories, when we change the doctrine to what it actually means, you must also add a fourth, those that do not believe in Christ. Now it's odd when you think about it, 
someone sitting in a message church who does not believe in Christ? Most in the cult would say, no, absolutely not. Those in our group believe Christ because there's power in the message of William Branham. But you see the point that is made when they say that. Those in the congregation believe in Christ, yet we still have three types of believers? It's because that doctrine has absolutely nothing to do with Christ. In fact, it would be, it would be good and worth our time to re-examine those categories in the eyes of Christ. Christ is our example, and we should model our lives after Christ. The examples given in the Gospels are how we should live our lives, loving, caring, wanting everyone to be saved. Let's take a look at the same three categories, and let's change the doctrine title one more time to the three types of people under Christ. First, we have the believers. These are the people that have had a real life-changing experience and know that Christ is the Son of the living God. Those are the people like Job who can't be swayed, and they're very strong testimonies to the grace of Jesus Christ. Those are the ones who, like Christ, wants every soul to be saved. Those are the ones that would be extremely excited if there was not a single person in hell. They would rather everyone be saved than even one single soul to be lost. But in the eyes of Christ, this category is really named sinners. To Christ, these are the sinners that were saved by grace through faith in Him. Next we have the unbelievers. These are the ones who have never heard of Christ. Or they are the ones who have heard of Christ, but it was in some legalistic cult church that pretended to teach Christ in the gospel. But instead, they taught some other gospel that was bound with law and dictatorship. Maybe they did. Maybe there's some that did hear the real gospel, but they rejected it. They were not convinced that Christ died on the cross for their sins. To the real believers of Christ, this category should really be named opportunities. These are the targets of the missionaries and the evangelists. They're not sitting on some line in the sand looking on the other side because there is no line in the sand. These are the real believers that spend their time trying to show these unbelievers an example of Christ in their lives to make them realize there is a God who loves them. And I'm not sure that any in the cult of William Branham realized this, but these are actually the ones that Christ came for. He did not come to save the saved. Christ came to save the lost. This category, in the eyes of Christ, is also named sinners. To Christ, these are the sinners that are just as guilty as those in the first category. But they have not accepted Christ and they will be bound for hell if they are not reached by those in the first category. 
Many times, these are the ones that suffer trials to place them into situations so that they can be reached by the believers of Christ. The last category, the make-believers, are the Christians who have made their choice to follow Christ, yet they do not believe. They're not sitting in a mosque worshiping Muhammad. They're not sitting there rubbing the belly of Buddha. They are sitting in a church dedicated to worshiping the one true God. But yet they have not had that experience. They are sinners, and they know that they are sinners. Why else would they put themselves through long sermons and prayer meetings? Why not just get up and leave? Again, this is the group that I feel most burdened for. Why has the pastor not yet convinced them to follow Christ? Is that charismatic screaming of condemnation driving more and more people into this category? Why do the pastors tell them that they must accept William Branham by faith when the pastors themselves know that there are more holes in William Branham's ministry than Swiss cheese? Maybe, just maybe, it's because the pastors themselves are in this category. In the eyes of Christ, these people are sinners. While the cult blasts this category with the most hatred, Christ showed the same love and forgiveness. Remember the boy's father who told Jesus, I believe, help thou my unbelief. The cult even sings songs using these words, but they've never fully accepted what those words mean. If that same man were asking William Branham to use the power of the angel to heal his boy, and he told Branham to help his unbelief, the entire cult would have blasted him with insults saying, he's a make-believer. But this passage is one that everyone should be familiar with. And though I doubt very many in the cult of William Branham have read the full passage in context, it comes from Mark 9. Mark 9 says this, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing with about with them? And someone from the crowd said, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they were not able. Now picture the setting here. We have the disciples, the good guys, arguing with the scribes, the bad guys. And I say that jokingly because, again, this is an us-versus-them attitude that is not Christ-like. The man asked his disciples, the believers, to heal the child by casting out the demon. And they failed. Were they not believers? Did they not have the same power? Jesus did not condemn the Father. He did not condemn the disciples. And he did not even condemn the scribes. Jesus did not create 
three categories. There was only one category. He condemned the evil and adulterous generation because it was a generation of sinners, the one category in the eyes of Christ. He answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Now notice the power of Christ. When the child was brought to Christ, the evil spirit immediately fell, trembling in fear. No prayer card was needed, and Jesus did not have to guess his name and his address to administer the healing. He did not turn the child away, saying, Sorry, this is a really hard case. <laughs> it continues, And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Notice the evil spirit that had grips on him. He could not escape. He was bound. Gripped by the spirit, the same spirit often tried to kill him. The one verse that you will hear in the cult of William Branham comes next. All things are possible for them that believe. But you may have never heard what comes after that sentence. <laughs> and Jesus said unto him, I'm reading, And Jesus said unto him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now I ask you, did Jesus send the man away saying, Get away from you, you in the third category of believers. You are a make-believer. You are the one that plagues my congregation and hinders the work of the Holy Spirit. You are a flea that jumps on the backs of my dogs. No. It says, And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit and said to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was laying like a corpse, so that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. Now look at the power of Christ. He was the Son of God, and he was given authority over the spirits of this world. There was no vibrating hand like the Wiccans, or guessing games as to what disease afflicted him. There was no telling the boy, now you continue on believing, or that same evil spirit will come back on you with 10,000 more just like him. Boo! Jesus didn't do this. The last part of this story is my favorite. It's the one that we often forget, but it's the one that we should pay close attention to. It says this, And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? 
And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. You preachers that still teach Branham's twisted doctrine of the three types of believers, have you read that part? When you draw your little lines in the sand to keep your flocks away from them, evil unbelievers, those who know that William Branham lied, why not use the power of prayer? When, why do you turn your congregations away from the lost, away from the lost, instead of sending them, sending them out to help save the lost? Why do you create a bunch of couch potatoes that have no knowledge of the Scripture, who have mistakenly taken a free ticket to heaven by believing that there was a man sent from God and his name was William Branham? You should be equipping these people with the Word of God, not the twisted word taken out of context like William Branham when he said, let me take this little verse to make a context. The Bible is the context. You should be sending out soldiers in the army of Christ who know no boundaries, no lines in the sand, missionaries that spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, not missionaries that spread some inconsequential belief that some Kentucky hillbilly had a vision. Don't point to the vision. Point to the God that Branham pretended to serve. I know that there are some very good, loving people in the cult of William Branham. To those, I'll leave you with this question. Which of the two comparisons would you rather follow? The one where Branham gave the three types of believers? The one that condemned those in two out of the three categories, condemned them to hell? The one that made you separate yourselves with a line in the sand from other Christians because some guy told you that he had a vision several years ago in the past with no proof whatsoever. Do you really, really want to condemn others to hell? Wouldn't you rather follow Christ? The truth, not the doctrine, but the truth that we are all sinners saved by grace. The one where we know no boundaries and we can reach out a loving hand to help snatch some soul from the fire. Think about Branham's twisted, crazy pyramid theology that he got from Freemasonry. The one where Christ was the capstone to the idol that Egyptians sacrificed their children to. There is a pyramid of growth in Christianity, and it is not the pyramid idol that Branham worshipped. Christ is the capstone of that pyramid, but it's upside down as compared to Branham's idol. We do not lift ourselves up to a higher plane so that Christ can come down and cap the top of our mountain of works righteous faith. This is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, it is against the gospel of Christ which makes it anti-Christ. Christ came down to us, not us coming up to him. He is the cornerstone, not the capstone, the beginning of the new covenant of grace. 
When another block is added to the building, that block will spread good news to another. And then those blocks will be stacked on top, bringing in more souls for Christ. When another block is added to the building, the good news is spread, and then another, and then another, and then another. So I'll leave you with this. When you think of the false doctrine of the three types of believers, think of the word that Christ gave when he sent missionaries out into the world. It wasn't a line in the sand. Christ said this, The harvest is plenty, and the workers are few. Oh.